Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Today is Monday, April 6, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, we'll start with the most up-to-date information regarding COVID-19 pandemic. It is significantly hurting African Americans. We'll break it down when it comes to social distancing and black churches, churches and black preachers. There's no reason at all to be holding church services this week or on Resurrection Sunday. I will explain. Also, the president of the American Medical Association, she will join us uh, on the show as well. Civil rights organizations are calling for the release of racial data on coronavirus testing, but also on the number of deaths. We are being impacted in a major way. The majority of the deaths in a number of states, we will explain. Also, Alabama and Maryland will examine the rates of contagion and deaths there as well. Finally, the Alabama governor woke the hell up and issue a sheltered in place for that state. Also, did China hide their COVID-19 numbers? 
and why. We'll talk to Malcolm Nance about that. And a recent study shows that young black people have a bleak outlook on their features. We'll explain. Plus, seniors face difficult challenges getting to the polls, partly because of, partly because of coronavirus. Also, the way the polls are set up. And how do you maintain a healthy diet and exercise routine while you're sheltered in place? Well, Cootie Mac will join us. And Tony Terry. I'm going to show you a great video. He was walking in the park. A couple was getting married. He decided to be their solo artist. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Mark on the Filter. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. Folks, the White House is holding their daily uh, coronavirus update. Uh, we're not going to take it, go live to it right now. Why? Because Donald Trump left the microphone, and he has spent far too much time lying at the podium. Uh, it was shameful to watch him over the weekend. Uh, and so we're not going to waste our time showing him. Now, Dr. Fauci steps up. Dr. Burke step up. We'll go live to the news conference. I'm monitoring it as we're doing the show. Uh, but we simply uh, cannot show you Donald Trump talking about anything dealing with this pandemic because he is shown to be an absolute despicable liar. All right, folks, as of today, there are 339,596 cases of COVID-19 in all of the United States. In fact, this graphic has changed. We've now, we've now gone past 10,000 deaths in the United States. Uh, and so that's uh, where we stand Friday at this time. Uh, we had 18,029 patients who have recovered from the virus. Uh, and so that's what's uh, going on right there. Now, earlier today, Governor Andrew Cuomo gave his update and talked about how close they are when it comes to uh, the problems with ventilators. Uh, they are now in a dangerous territory in New York. Total number of hospitalizations are down. The ICU admissions are down and the daily intubations are down. Those are all good signs and again would suggest a possible flattening of the curve. The number of discharges is down, but that reflects the overall reduction in the numbers. Big question that we're looking at now is what, what is the curve? And we've been talking about cases increase, increase, increase until they don't. When they stop increasing, then what happens? And the projection models have a number of alternatives. Uh, some suggest basically the curve goes up and then drops precipitously. Some suggest there's a slight pause at the top. Some suggest there's a longer pause at the top, which is effectively a plateau uh, effect. Or again, the straight up and straight down precipitous drop, which is the peak effect. No one can tell you uh, which will occur. All right, folks. Uh, yesterday at the news conference, uh, it was unbelievable to stand, to sit there and watch Donald Trump 
play a doctor on TV, uh, telling people to try a drug that is used for malaria that is, is being used, used in some places right now. I want to go to my iPad, folks. I want to play this for you just to show you the kind of nonsense that's coming out of his mouth uh, from the Daily Podium. Let's see here. All right, we're trying to uh, uh, get this to work. I mean, it, it is just it, it is just stunning to watch uh, what is happening on a daily basis um, when Donald Trump uh, stands before the cameras. Uh, it is turning into a joke, if you will, because he is treating this as if it is a television show focused on uh, the high ratings uh, these news conferences uh, are, are actually getting. And so let me go ahead and um, um, uh, 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 play this right Right now. Uh, so, folks, listen to this. I hope they use the hydroxychloroquine, and they can also do it with ZPAC, subject to your doctor's approval, and all of that. But I hope they use it because I'll tell you what. Uh, what do you have to lose? In some cases, they're in bad shape. What do you have to lose? It's been out there for a long time, and I hope they use it. And uh, they're going to look at the with doctors, work with doctors, get what you have to get. Uh, but we have it stockpiled, and it's uh, we have a lot of it. And I hope that... All right, folks, joining me right now is a real doctor, Dr. Patrice A. Harris. She is president of the American Medical Association. Glad to have you back on Roland Martin Unfiltered, Dr. Harris. Uh, Glad to be with you. When you listen to that, you, Trump says, hey, I'm not a doctor, just go ahead and try it. You had Dr. Fauci, who was trying to consistently say uh, that, look, this has to be properly tested. You have Peter Navarro, who is the trade expert, who is fighting with Dr. Fauci because he read some studies somewhere. Uh, it does an interview today on CNN where he says, you know, look, I'm a social scientist. I mean, this is the moment where political people should shut the hell up and allow the professionals, the scientists and the doctors to talk about these matters. Roland, we have to start and end with the science and the data. Patients trust us to do so as physicians. And certainly when we prescribe a treatment or an alternative, we do so with thinking through the risk and the benefits. And sometimes some of those risks are death and death, and we have to be very candid about that. And so the standard has to be about the science. Yes, there are clinical trials that are using this medication. Yes, this medication works in malaria, and it's helping so many patients with, with lupus um, and arthritis. Uh, but we need to make sure that we have the data, good data, before we begin to say uh, this medicine should be used uh, on a widespread basis. Uh, there are people who are saying that if you have diabetes, if you have high blood pressure, Taking this drug can be very dangerous for you. We're talking about black folks. That's right there in the wheelhouse for African Americans. Absolutely. And, and I think and I hope that everyone knows that uh, African Americans already were suffering uh, with uh, inequities regarding health and had a disproportionate uh, impact when it comes to diabetes and hypertension high blood pressure. And so we know those are risk factors for worse outcomes with COVID-19. And we don't have the data right now. There's been some promising data, some small stories, uh, some small stories of success, but we don't have the data about how it will interact uh, with uh, other 
medications. I there's a medication that I prescribe as as a psychiatrist that that could uh, cause uh, heart arrhythmias. And of course, we know ZPAC and, and um, hydroxychloroquine could do the same. And so we have to have the data. We have to be careful. I mean, physicians, it's a position of trust, and we need to be very judicious in our recommendations, and our recommendations have to begin and end with the science. Uh, and, and when you talk about that in terms of where we are, uh, one of the issues that we're facing right now is we're seeing uh, what's happening with these deaths all across the country. African Americans, when you talk about those underlying conditions, are being impacted. Uh, you have what's happening in Michigan, Thir represent 14 percent of the state's population, nearly 40% nearly of all deaths uh, that have taken place uh, in Michigan. We're seeing cases in uh, what's happening in uh, Georgia, what's happening in Mississippi, in Alabama. Uh, in Chicago, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is also signaling, signaling the alarm there. Uh, she, uh, if you actually go to uh, my iPad, Henry, uh, Lightfoot declares public health red alarm about racial disparity in COVID-19 deaths. We'll be talking later with someone about them wanting to collect the racial data. We need to have this information, Doctor, if you can actually speak to this, because we have to understand how COVID-19 is impacting people of color, how it's impacting different groups. So just like people say, if you're at a high risk, if you're elderly versus if you're young, we need to also know, are you at a high risk if you're black? We absolutely need that information, and the American Medical Association supports uh, collecting that data and then, of course, using that data to target areas that may need additional support. Uh, so at the end of this, we, we do need to make sure that data is collected regarding race and ethnicity. Um, and I hope, uh, I am so glad that they are doing this in, in Chicago. I know one of the first articles I read um, was about the deaths in Milwaukee. And if I recall correctly, there were eight deaths at the time. This was uh, several days ago, and they were all African-American. Uh, so we need data so we can understand what's going on and then how we move forward with targeting supports and treatments. Uh, Doc, hold on one second. Uh, I want to go to, I want you to sit, stay there. I want to go to the White House. Uh, we do not carry Donald Trump when he speaks, uh, but certainly we do want to hear what Dr. Fauci has to say. He's now speaking. Go right ahead, Henry. With both of the governors. And, I, it, you know, when I had mentioned that, uh, I think there was a public response that they weren't really doing anything at all, and they really are doing a very good job, both of them. Those are the only two that I spoke to. But, but it was a really good conversation. And I want to make sure people understand that just because they don't have a very strict stay-at-home order, they have in place a lot of things that are totally compatible with what everyone else is doing. If I could ask a question, Dr. Fauci, before you... Go ahead. Um, about getting back to normal. You said you wanted to get back to normal uh, <clears throat> as, as soon as possible. Will we truly get back to normal in this country before there's an actual vaccine that's available to everybody? What, in, how, how, do you, how do you start lifting the restrictions? Yeah, well, well John, if, if back to normal means acting like there never was a coronavirus problem, I, I don't think that's going to happen until we do have a situation where you can completely protect the population. But when we say getting back to normal, we mean something very different from what we're going through right now. Because right now we are in a very intense mitigation. When we get back to normal, we will go back gradually to the point where we can function as a society. But you're absolutely right. I mean, if you want to get to pre-coronavirus, you know, that might not ever happen in the sense of the, the fact that the threat is there. But I believe 
with the therapies that will be coming online and with the fact that I feel confident that over a period of time we will get a good vaccine, that we will never have to get back to where we are right back now. So if that means getting back to normal, then we'll get back to normal. I think that All right, Trump is going back to the microphone, and it means we're breaking back, breaking away. Uh, Dr. Harris, uh, we were talking about, of course, uh, the impact uh, on uh, these drugs for African Americans, the importance of getting that racial data as well. Uh, could you also just, just please speak to... Uh, these uh, to African-Americans who continue to congregate, but also these black preachers in these black churches. Uh, we've been talking about using a hashtag, East, hashtag Easter at home, Resurrection Sunday at home. I mean, churches can quickly be incubators of coronavirus. These folks should not be having church service. Uh, thank you for doing that, uh, Roland. It is so important. We have to stay at home, Just no exceptions. I mean, I, and I understand uh, we, of course, need that spiritual connection, but we uh, can can make that spiritual connection in other ways. But at this point, um, it is absolutely critical that everyone stays at home, uh, wash your hands, only go out for groceries or for, for medicines or any health needs. Uh, everybody, please stay home. The AMA has sent a letter out to the National Governors Association asking those governors, I believe it may be eight or nine now, that have not um, activated a stay-at-home order to please do so. We know this works. We've seen it. We've seen the first early cities who started this early. Their, their incidence of cases is lower. And so physical distancing is the best, the absolute best uh, strategy we have for flattening the curve. We've talked about that. That is the best strategy. So please, everyone, stay home. Uh, last question for you. I have to ask you about masks. So now the CDC, CDC is saying that if you have to go out in public uh, to wear at least some kind of cloth over uh, your face. And so uh, I have here, you know, I, I had to go ahead, of course, I have my Kente mask. Uh, and so, okay, so this is, this is not an N95 mask. Are they saying that reserve those for, for, for medical professionals, for first responders? And when they say any cloth, so just can you just explain that for the people who are watching so they can understand uh, or decipher what was being said? Happy to do so. And the first thing I know, because I know it sometimes gets frustrating because the recommendations do change. Uh, but, but Roland, my grandmother used to say, when you know better, you do better. And, and that is where we are with the data. As we get more data, uh, we may change recommendations and and people should see that as a positive people should see that oh they have new data new uh, and better ways to make sure i am safe so yes the cdc is now recommending the public uh, go out with a cloth mask uh, your your mask is is great i really like it but yes to your point not the surgical mask and not the n95 respirator mask those should be reserved for frontline workers or other healthcare professionals so yes I've seen lots of creative um, uh, Facebook posts about ways to make uh, masks. Please do that. Remember, that is mostly protecting others from you in case you are infected. We know uh, that you can still infect others if you are showing no symptoms. And so that is why the CDC is now uh, recommending uh, those masks. However, Roland, I want to stress, that is not instead of staying at home, Washing your hands, right? And physical dis—that's in addition to. Uh, and, and also, uh, and also, um, people also need to understand 
because uh, like I had somebody who was uh, when I, I went out to get gas and they were like, "Oh my God, wear your gloves!" And they, should be covering your head. I was like, "Yo." Calm the hell down. I said, first of all, I'm at the gas. There's no one within 10 feet behind me. No one within went 10 feet to my left, to in front or my right. And so these they're like, oh my, yeah, but coronavirus is airborne. I'm going, but if there's no one around me talking or coughing, there's nothing that's actually airborne. And so people are totally freaking out. Uh, and, and they were just, like, losing it. Uh, and I had explained to them that literally at the gas station, uh, the guy was walking... As each person was using the pump, he was spraying down the pump uh, before we used them. Uh, and then... And so some people were using the actual paper towels or the cloths to actually to use the pump. And so people were just totally freaking out. I was kind of like, I need y'all to calm down. Like, one woman said, oh, my God, you need to be covering your hair because coronavirus could actually... Uh, 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 infect you through your hair. And I'm like, breathe. You know, it, breathe is good. You know, we, um, fear and worry is normal in a situation like this. So you, you know I'm a psychiatrist, and so I want people to be able to express those emotions. But we, we want to channel that worry into positive action and not panic. And you're right. We, we have to get gas, those of us who have to be out for essential services, as long as you uh, maintain that uh, six um, uh, feet of distance. Now, it was very nice of them to spray uh, the pumps down, uh, but certainly if you touch anything, just wash your hands, wash your hands. When you go to the grocery store, the first thing you want to do is come in, uh, put away, maybe wipe down, but, but wash your hands. So we want people to uh, be careful, be proactive, but not panic. All right, then, Dr. Patrice Harris, President, American Medical Association. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, we talk about, again, uh, as we talked about with her, how are we being impacted the most with the largest community for civil rights under law? And hundreds of doctors are calling for the federal government to release race and ethnicity data on infections and deaths from COVID-19. There are reports that the pandemic is affecting African Americans at a disproportionate rate. As I said to you, uh, we see the data is coming out of Michigan, was happening in Milwaukee and Wisconsin, was coming out of New Orleans, was coming out of Chicago as well. So joining me right now is Dorian Spence. He's the director of economic justice for the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Uh, Dorian, uh, explain to people why this data is vital. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Roland. Um, this data is vital. What we know is that African-Americans have suffered uh, disproportionate in health outcomes because of racial bias in the healthcare field. And some of the uh, diseases that African-Americans suffer from exacerbate the COVID-19 uh, virus. So we need this data from the CDC and the Department of Health and Human Services to make sure that African-Americans have full access and speedy access to both testing for the novel coronavirus, as well as treatment for the novel coronavirus. Um, the CDC, through its COVID uh, reporting request form, collects data on race, age, ethnicity, um, and location. But to date, the CDC has not released to the public any of this data. So we don't know if African-Americans across the country are being disproportionately affected uh, by this pandemic. And that is something that we need to know. Um, state health providers need to know it on a local basis, but also racial justice organizations and civil rights organizations and just average lay people in our communities need to know whether or not we're receiving or receiving adequate treatment in the midst of this pandemic. Uh, and so how do we get it? I know there are some state officials who are trying to uh, require it in their states. And so uh, will the feds actually do that? 
Well, we hope so. Um, we issued a strongly worded letter today with the support of over uh, 375 medical practitioners who backed us up on this. Um, and we hope we can put out a call to Dr. Harris, who was just on immediately before me with the American Medical Association to support us in this call. Um, but we're asking for the CDC and DHS to provide daily updates on the race and ethnicity of those who are testing positive for the coronavirus. What we have seen across the country is a narrow slice or snapshots of what's happening on the state level. I think you pointed out um, Illinois, where the uh, population is 14.6% African-American, but um, African-Americans make up 28% of the confirmed cases. Uh, or in Michigan, where African-Americans are only 14% of the population, uh, but they make up 34% uh, of the cases for novel coronavirus, as well as 40% of the deaths, right? Um, there are some states that are doing the right thing, like um, the District of Columbia is doing the right thing. They're reporting out on these numbers. South Carolina is doing the same. Um, so is Illinois. So is Michigan. But I don't see why this isn't a 50-state push to provide uh, the public and the medical community, as well as civil rights organizations like the Lawyers Committee, with the information that we need to hold health systems accountable to our communities. All right. And if folks uh, want to uh, stay in agreement with you guys, uh, where should they go? So our ask is actually twofold, um, Roland. Number one, if you are a doctor and you're working in the healthcare field and you're seeing this bias play out in real time, if you see that our communities are not receiving the treatment that they deserve in the midst of this pandemic, we want to hear from you. You can email us at health, H-E-A-L-T-H, -E at lawyerscommittee.org. But to your viewers, um, we understand that this isn't just a pandemic that strikes the medical field or the legal field. This is affecting everyday people. And if you want to stand with us united in your call, in our call um, for the CDC and the Department of Health and Human Services to release these numbers, you can sign on to our change.org petition. I will drop it in the chat box on your um, Roland Martin Unfiltered uh, live um, chat box on YouTube. And we'll tweet it out, and we'll tweet at you as well so you can raise up the change.org petition as well, Roland. All right. We surely appreciate it. Thanks so, so very much, sir. Which is your budget. All right, folks, Alabama has already seen more than 1,500 confirmed cases of coronavirus and 26 confirmed deaths. Now, the numbers dropped over the weekend, but Alabama could have the highest per capita death rate in the country and the fourth highest, death to uh, highest total death count. Currently, there are 1,952 cases and 49 deaths. Uh, you can also see uh, how that breaks down. Now, over the weekend, uh, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey finally issued a shelter-in-order place. Joining us right now is Roy Johnson, a columnist with AL.com. Roy, you wrote a column saying better late than never and that we need to pray. Uh, there was so much pressure. And, you know, here's one of these Republican governors, red state, just like Tate Reeves next door in Mississippi, like Ron DeSantis in Florida. They were taking so long long uh, and it was it was as if they were waiting for more people to die to go oh i guess we better go ahead and do this thing a, a week before she finally told alabamians to stay at home uh, governor Kay ivy sort of blithely said we're not california we're not louisiana we're not new york when actually we were worst than some of those uh, states when it comes to uh, corona cases positive cases and deaths per capita and over the next few days, it became very apparent finally to her uh, that the state needed a stay-at-home order. We had an order here in Birmingham uh, led by the city council and Mayor Randall Woodfin a week prior to that, a shelter-in-place ordinance that uh, dramatically limited the number of businesses that could be open, 
that was very specific about restaurants and bars doing takeout uh, and said exactly to the most, for the most part, I mean, there was some glitches early on regarding what you could and could not do in terms of going out and your guests have already outlined that. It took a full week for Governor Ivey to issue a similar order. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, she said herself that 160 plus cases overnight led her to do it. But there's also a perception that Alabama is two states and that uh, sitting in the Capitol, it's easy to dis it was easy early on to dismiss the coronavirus problem in Alabama as a Jefferson County, Birmingham problem. Uh, those, the county and certainly Birmingham are the most diverse cities in the state. 70% of the population of Birmingham is African-American, a significant number uh, of, of, of citizens in Jefferson County are African-American. And that was where the largest number of cases were occurring. So my suspicion is early on, it was easy for other parts of the state to say, hey, that's Jefferson County's problem. That's Birmingham's problem. Uh, when in fact, it was only because of limited testing in other areas that uh, we were seeing such low numbers. And now uh, that disparity is starting to, uh, to be closer. It's uh, diminishing. And it's clear that this is an Alabama problem, uh, not just a Jefferson County problem. Well, what's to me what's so stupid and idiotic is that it's not like Alabama sits at the top when it comes to health stats. Anything. <laughs> health status, we have some of the largest disparities in pretty much uh, any ailment you could name from uh, you know, birth rates uh, with, with, with mothers, you know, to, the, to, to diabetes, to cardiovascular disease. I mean, we rank near the bottom in just about everything. So uh, one of the things that uh, Dr. Selwyn Vickers, who is the dean of the UAB Medical School, that's University of Alabama at Birmingham, said is that uh, these kinds of crises reveal gaps. And we're, I'm writing a column that will appear tomorrow that basically where he says that this crisis has revealed uh, how we've ignored populations for so long, and that those populations, the populations that are hit the hardest by these health disparities are the ones that could ultimately define us. If we start to see the types of uh, numbers and percentages coming out of Alabama that we're seeing in other large cities, and there's no reason we shouldn't, uh, it's going to be clear that uh, African Americans are going to suffer disproportionately in Alabama as they are in other cities. Uh, by the COVID-19 virus. Uh, you, know, you might say that there aren't as many high-rise buildings here, but my column also focuses on the challenges from public housing. And public housing where there's dense housing, where there's often overcrowding, uh, could really be a petri dish for incubation for the novel coronavirus. So uh, there are a lot of concerns about what may happen in the next couple of weeks. And as your earlier uh, guest said, testing in those areas is almost null and void, and certainly less than in other areas. So uh, people are keeping their fingers crossed and praying that uh, residents will heed the warnings. There were concerns that they weren't. Uh, someone said that it was almost like 4th of July at some of the public housing uh, communities where people were out grilling, they're out with their families. Everyone, please listen to the authorities. Please heed their warnings for social distancing and keeping gatherings small. This is not a vacation. It's not a coronation, as I call it in my next column. This is real, and it's incumbent upon all citizens to heed the warnings, as well as on our officials to make sure that we have all the data we need to know whether this is, in fact, 
uh, affecting an African-American disappointingly to others. And I certainly will hope the black preachers in Alabama are not going to be holding church services this week. I know it's Holy Week. I get all of that. Uh, but far too many of our people uh, could be greatly impacted by people having church services. Uh, and so hashtag Easter at home or hashtag Resurrection Sunday at home for all those black preachers uh, there in Alabama. And if look, if you if your church is having um, uh, a service, don't mean you need to be there. Simple as that. And there are plenty of churches, plenty of churches that are having virtual services. Some have not been as virtually and technologically capable as others. I know my own church, Rock City Church here in Birmingham, is very technologically savvy, and we've been doing uh, virtual services for over three weeks. Pastor Mike McClure Jr., who many people know for his uh, uh, hit song "Big," uh, has been very, very tech forward. Uh, there are resources on the website, resources available through YouTube and Facebook to help people to guide them through coronavirus. And uh, he's also offered to help any pastor, any church in the area that does not have the capabilities of recording their own sermons to come to Rock City Church and utilize uh, their technology to record sermons. And so this Sunday, we definitely hope that uh, pastors will heed the warnings. We had a church here in rural Alabama in a county that is about 40 percent black and a predominantly black church that had 10 cases of coronavirus positive tests come out of it after having service on March 8th, where they celebrated a, a pastor's anniversary. Now, 10 of those uh, members are affected, and uh, the church is almost empty uh, just because of people finally taking precautions. Now, March 8th was before the warnings came out, but it just shows you how fast this is penetrating our community and uh, using churches in order to uh, to do the, its dastardly work. All right, then. Roy Johnson, AL.com. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, sir. All right, folks. Uh, again, we, we've got to uh, keep our folks uh, abreast of this. Uh, remember last week we told you Sam Jackson uh, had done this video uh, for the folks with uh, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, which uh, pretty funny. It was pretty funny. Uh, and uh, I had reached out to Sam uh, to, uh, to, to, to get a copy of the video. Uh, and so, look, this was for, for anybody, but this is really the case for black people when it comes to this whole issue of shelter in place. Stay the fuck at home. The Rona is spreading. This shit is no joke. It's no time to work or roam. The way you can fight it is simple, my friends. Just stay the fuck at home. Now, technically, I'm not a doctor. But motherfuckers listen when I read a poem. So here I am. Sam fucking Jackson, imploring you, keep your ass at home. If you want things to get back to normal, don't panic. Just use your dome. Wash your hands, stop touching your face, and stay the fuck at home. Motherfucker, it's no time to gamble. Look around, you're not at a casino. Just stay the fuck home as if your name was Trenton Quarantino. Sure, you can still see your friends. Use the motherfucking app on your phone. But unless you just ran out of groceries, please stay the fuck at home. Thank you for doing your part to flatten the curve because that shit is steep. And now that you're home, please feel free to go the fuck to sleep. 
right. I know a lot of us may get a laugh out of that, but, uh, yo, we need to buy, buy that. Seriously. Uh, over the weekend here in uh, Washington, D.C., these people are all out at the wharf for some damn reason, uh, you know, out here enjoying themselves, like Roy said, thinking this was like a corona vacation. Uh, and then finally, the people at the wharf shut that damn thing down. I, I mean, I just don't understand what people are doing. I mean, people are congregating out, they're getting together, having parties and stuff. Let me explain to you. Black folks are dying. There was a black bus driver in Michigan who had complained that a woman on his bus was coughing. That bus driver today is dead. Dead. As a result of this, we have seen musicians, we've seen artists, we've seen healthcare people who are dead because of coronavirus. Also, I really need people to chill the hell out with all this other nonsense that, that we... I, I'm tired of these conspiracy theories. I'm going to deal with this with our panel in a second. But, oh, man, the same thing as the flu. No. You have not heard medical professionals dropping dead because of the flu. This thing is real, and we need to understand it. First, we talked about Alabama. Now, in Maryland, there are 4,045 cases of COVID-19. 91 people have died. Now, these are the breakdown by county. Prince George's County. We always talk about all the wealthiest county for black folks in America. Guess what? 916 cases leading the state, 23 deaths in the state. Joining me right now is Delegate Nick Mosby of Maryland. Nick, glad to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Roland. You know, this is this is this is something we're trying to get people to understand. That, 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 that these numbers are real, this virus is real. We also talked to the head of the American Medical Association, as well as the Lawyers Committee, why, why that data is so important. You there, Nick? All right, so it uh, looks like we got, uh, Nick's phone is frozen. So, guys, uh, just let me know when we have him back uh, so I can uh, pull him up. Uh, let's just do this here. Let's go to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Nick Mosby. Also talk to our panel, as well as we'll talk to Malcolm Nance about China withholding information and how that actually hurt us in the beginning of this coronavirus international pandemic. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. So a lot of y'all always asking me about terms, some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know. Robert don't have one on. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So I'm going to take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And 
I said, man, this is pretty cool. And so I tracked down, the, it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they make these about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear. So we don't have many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket square. And what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that. But if I wanted to also, unlike other, because if I flip it and turn it over, it actually gives me a different type of texture. And so therefore it gives me a different look. So there you go. So uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these Shibori pocket squares, we have them in 47 different colors. All you gotta do is go to rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So it's rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. All you gotta do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also gotta be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you wanna jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who's a designer, she actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, that goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Bring the Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. All right, folks, let's bring in our panel today. Joining me uh, right now uh, is uh, Cleo Monago, behavioral uh, expert, uh, also political analyst, Eugene Craig, CEO, Eugene Craig Organization, Pam Keith, attorney and activist who's also running for Congress. Folks, anybody who needs to understand why uh, I do not waste my time uh, with Donald Trump, this is why he should not be shown live, uh, because he is a menace to society. Uh, this is today's news conference moments ago. Uh, this, this, this is the kind of childishness, childishness you get out of the person who is sitting in the Oval Office. Here we go to my iPad. I can interact with it like I do every single day. But that's a discussion for the future. I think testing is really in a good position right now, and I'd be happy to expand on some of the really good tests that are coming up. How long has that person been in government? Uh, did serve in the previous administration. Oh, you didn't tell me that. Oh, I see. You didn't tell me that, John. You didn't tell me that. Did serve in the previous administration. You mean the Obama administration. Thank you for telling me that. See, there's a typical fake news deal. You asked me when she was appointed. I told you when she was appointed. You're a third-rate reporter. And what you just said is a disgrace, okay? You asked me, you said, sir, just got appointed. Take a look at what you said. Now, I said, when did they, when did this person, how long in government? But, but, well, it was appointed in the Obama administration. But, 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 Thank you very much, John. Sir? Thank you very much. You will never make it. Go ahead, please. Uh, on the, on the is so we can interact with it like I do every single okay, day. Okay, it's kind of kind of pretty stupid, Eugene, to say, John Carl, you'll never make it when he's actually a White House reporter for ABC News, who's also the fill-in host, uh, actually, who was one of the co-hosts of ABC This Week on ABC. What the hell? Uh, yeah, and, and if my history, if my memory recalls correctly, I believe John Carl at one point was also a reporter for Fox News. 
um, you know, Trump's favorite network. Uh, this is crazy. It's, it's asinine. Um, you know, we don't have time for these petty squabbles. We don't have time for the president to stroke his petty eagle. Um, people are literally dying. The country is still unprepared for this crisis, this pandemic. Um, you have states that are still asking for ventilators. You have, you know, states that are still asking for PPE. Uh, you know, the hospital that you, know, you covered last week, you know, they went through six months of PPE in a week dealing with this virus. And so, you know, the, the president needs to, you know, maybe he just needs to step aside and just let, you know, stop going to the podium. Let Pence and, and Fauci and, and, and Burks just handle all the questions. Um, you know, but it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Pam, what we're dealing with here, again, are constant lies uh, emanating from that podium. Frankly, if you look at the polling data, 85% uh, of people trust Dr. Fauci. Uh, even in Florida, uh, Donald Trump is polling lower than Governor Ron DeSantis, who's an absolute idiot, uh, and from local mayors there as well. Uh, and not only that, we also see these reports where uh, whatever Florida asked for, they got. Uh, they got they got even more than what they asked for right. in terms of equipment. Right. Yet other states, uh, he hasn't sent that, and so it seems as if Donald Trump is sending gear based upon electoral college strategy. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I do want to address the comment that Donald Trump made from the podium because we're kind of calling it petty or skipping over it, and we're missing it, right? He is signaling to his base that anybody that worked for President Obama is inherently untrustworthy and inherently the deep state or inherently against him because that's how his thing functions. It's, it's bicameral. You are either with him or against him, and there's nothing else. There's no expertise. There's no mission. There's no uh, service to the people. There's no staying in a career. To him, if you were ever willing to work in an Obama administration, everything you necessarily have to say is discounted. And it is a continuation of the demonization of of anybody who is not uh, right-wing GOP conservative. That is destructive right now, like nothing you could possibly believe because facts, data, information is being rejected by large swaths of our fellow Americans only because it comes from someone they believe to be in cahoots with whatever they call the deep state, right? They are willing to put their lives, their children's lives, their parents' lives in jeopardy because they've been so conditioned to believe that everything Democrats say is when in fact Democrats don't hoax at all. That is purely GOP conspiracy territory. When we decide to accuse somebody of something, nine times out of ten, they're going to end up in jail. That's where Manafort is. That's where Gates going. That's where Flynn's going. When we come at them, we always land it because we don't do hoaxes. We do science and scholarship and education. Well, the, we don't it, do hoaxes. Well, the thing here, Cleo, uh, the, the people are people are literally dying, and. I keep making the point yeah. that, look, ain't nobody going to save us but us. And so as African-Americans, we better be very particular in terms of who we listen to and what they have to say, which is one of the reasons why we keep putting on as many black experts as possible, because black people, look, they trust information coming from black healthcare professionals, and we've got to have more of that. Uh, but what, what we're constantly seeing out of this administration is that they are picker, picking winners and losers. It is obvious the game that they're playing, Cleo.
Well, I definitely want to address how I think black people should deal with this coronavirus issue, but I want to go back to saying that, believe it or not, Trump is doing what he's always done. True, Trump true. Is not, Trump has not changed up. Trump said ridiculous things and had people who were bullying people and attacking people at his rallies before he became the president. And there is a, and don't please don't think I'm affirming or support Trump when I say this. I'm talking about perspective and how he keeps winning. There's a quote unquote realness, a lack of stoicism, and a and an alleged approachedness by being allegedly candid and critical, which he has a flair for in terms of how he comes off, that attracts people, believe it or not, all across the racial canon. So even though he is someone who we see as despicable, because we're thinking logically, there's some people who are looking at him in contrast with previous people who they feel like he's more real then. There's even black people who will support him because they think he's more real than Barack Obama, who they see as who was more stoic or passive, et cetera. What, what, but I want to get back. Go ahead, go ahead. Now go ahead. Go ahead. But I want to get back to black folks. Um, I'm real concerned because the health disparities. Well, first of all, let me preface my comments with this: the coronavirus is preventable. We already know about social distancing, which has been the most promising recommendation in, in order to be a barrier to people infecting each other. So I want to reiterate that it's preventable so we can get that in our consciousness, because there's a lot of negative messaging coming out about black people. Out of, you mentioned it already out of Chicago, out of Wisconsin, et cetera, that we are the most impacted. And you have, I was cracking up when, when Samuel Jackson was doing his uh, stay, the, stay the Frank at home speech. But what concerns me about some of this stuff is that the health disparities that are pre-existing conditions that create a better venue for coronavirus to get to people are preventable. Diabetes is preventable, too, just like coronavirus. Right, right. Hypertension is preventable, too. Cardiovascular well, care illnesses not, right. are all preventable. Right. So well, we need to tell people to stay the F out of all kinds of places yeah, that but, are creating it, it, health disparities for well, us. Right, but, also, but, what, but what we're dealing with here what we, is, look... In the present, in the now, how do we deal with it now? Let me bring in Nick Mosby, uh, delegate from Maryland. We have him back. Uh, we had some phone issues earlier. Nick, are you there? Uh, Nick, yeah, you, 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 you really, really want these states to be collecting the data so we understand uh, the racial uh, uh, breakdown of who has died, who has tested positive, what kind of treatment they're getting. Because we know about the young brother in, uh, in Detroit, uh, Western Michigan University student, was going to be graduating in a few weeks. He goes to a hospital. They turn him away. He gets sicker. He ends up dying 25 years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we All know right. that All without right. real-time data, without evaluating exactly what's been taking place, it's hard for us to develop an effective... Um, as well as an equitable plan are really addressing and reducing the curve. I mean, there's always been biases. There's always been uh, baked-in discrimination in the healthcare uh, system. Uh, so the fact is, you know, many places um, mm -hmm. are starting to report, but not enough. Uh, and here in the state of Maryland, um, you know, our health department has started reporting on gender and age. Well, if you have gender and age, you also have in that same data set, you know, race, race breakdown as well as ethnicity, uh, and, and, and as well as where the people are coming from. At the end of the day, there's a scarcity of resources. I'm sorry, and we have to again? develop the most effective plan uh, to ensure that we're getting to, to a root of where the problem is taking place. Um, when you talk about, again, that data, that data is so important because just like when it comes to the whole issue of testing, we need to know 
where you have the major problems uh, in order to understand how do you target the resources and target exactly. the focus. Exactly. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this is a virus that whether you're black, white, rich or poor, uh, you can contract and you can get. But we also know as it relates to communal uh, sharing of it in the way that it's transmitted, um, that it spreads really quickly. So I keep saying to the governor, why not release the data? Why not allow Baltimore City, Prince George's County, Anne Arundel County, all these places know exactly where their populations and their pockets of problems are so we can address it. It provides us more effective and more uh, equitable treatment again. I mean, at the end of the day, if you, are, if you have an area, it makes sense to go in that area with stronger engagement, with stronger testing, with stronger outreach uh, and treatment. We can't do that if we're in the dark. Without the data, we're in the dark. And every day that we go on without having the data of that breakdown and where folks are coming from, we are lost. We're shooting in the dark. In fact, Nick, to your point, Nick, to your point, uh, just got his tweet. Louisiana just released COVID-19 data, which shows that African-Americans account for 70% of all deaths in the state. They make up 32% of the population. Yep, and we're seeing we're seeing that everywhere. So we're seeing the overrepresentation of the folks who are being hospitalized, who come back positive, and ultimately who are dying. The interesting thing is, who are we testing? You know, are we going to see uh, overrepresentation of Black poor communities being tested? I would probably assume not, based off of the way we've seen the bias and based off we've seen baked-in discrimination in the healthcare system. But these are the type of numbers that we really need to understand and know now in a real-time fashion. Not something where somebody writes some white paper or some op-ed in two or three laters to talk about how we fail black poor people during the COVID uh, pandemic. All right, then. Maryland, Maryland, Maryland Delegate Nick Mosby, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks a million. All right, sir. I want to go back to uh, our panel here. Uh, Eugene, when you see that information, 71% of all deaths in Louisiana are African-American. I mean, th this is why we have got to keep hammering black people, stop congregating, stop getting together. I know people want to go to church. I know when somebody dies, they want to go to a funeral. But we're actually creating more funerals by congregating. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, th this is really simple. You know, social distance, shelter in place, you know, and this, you know, the virus will, you know, stop spreading. You stop the spread, you can somewhat return to normal. But the first part of that is actually stopping the spread. And folk that folk have to understand that what happened at the wharf this weekend, you know, yes, it was a place of business that sold food. That's technically was essential. But when you overrun it, overrun it, you know, you help help the spread. You know, I'm saying people have a quote unquote quarantine parties. I mean, it's crazy. It is absolutely bananas out here. Uh, in fact, I saw this photo, Pam, over the weekend uh, where they, in Brooklyn, they said lawn clothes. And uh, there were no black people who were out there, but all these white folks sitting out there having picnics. And I'm going, any of you dumbasses see that sign that say lawn clothes? There's a reason why they don't want you sitting outside. I, 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 don't, I, I just don't understand the psyche of people who are acting as if, nah, this is not really going to really have an impact on me. This, this is absolutely crazy. I, I, wish, I wish I had it. There was, there was some woman who was just going crazy, Pam, uh, and she was, oh, this is a hoax. This is this, is this that, and the other. 
Right. And then her family posted a GoFundMe page where they announced mm -hmm. that she had died because the idiot right. didn't did believe coronavirus was real. Right. So, so Roland, you're talking about a combination of things. You're talking about the first um, story. All right, well, all right, we're having some serious issues. We're having some serious issues with we're having some serious issues with Pam Skype. Uh, we're having some issues with Pam Skype. So let me know when we get that fixed. I'm gonna go to Cleo. Cleo, I mean, we just have to keep hammering this thing in the head, folks. This thing is real. And look, and, 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 I, and I get we want to go out, we want to just hang out and party, but you could you could end your partying forever if you play around with this. Well, we have to talk to this about this issue being real about people's perspective and how people respond behaviorally based on their perspective. Not everyone knows anyone from their perspective that's been directly impacted. You might remember that in the beginning of this discussion, there was a, I don't know if you heard this or not, you might have covered this on your show, but in the beginning of this discussion, when the people watched the world map, it was about Italy. It was about China. There was no African places on this map that showed any any coronavirus problems. Then there was a rumor out that black people didn't get it, and that was a damn and lie. That, what was it? It's not, but it's not just a damn lie. It's not. It's not true. So you know, but it's no, not just. It's a, a damn, damn lie. lie. And what they didn't understand about the map in Africa was that what they didn't realize is the limited number of flights that come exactly. from Europe to Africa. Also, understanding that uh, the way the system is set up is that you need to have uh, these, you need to have the visas before you can even fly. So you don't. So look, if I want to go to Paris, I can, I can go, I can buy me a ticket, hop on a plane, find and fly to Paris. I just can't fly to an African nation like that because of how these rules are set up. And yeah, people are throwing this sort of stuff out there. Africa is impacted. Uh, I was talking to somebody. Uh, I was talking to somebody. I was cause actually we're still editing uh, the year of return um, a series that we're doing. My editor can't get into Accra because the cops in Ghana are, are not playing. They will beat no. your ass if they see you out in public. Well, the other issue that's happening with Africa too, and you already know this, is that the surveillance and epidemiological tracking systems in Africa are not as they are in the West. Right, so, but there not, people, but, so they weren't able to find out what the deal was as quick as they could here. Right, but so we people. But, people but, but, but my point but is the conspiracy that theory is the right. Theory. These conspiracy theories, just like I can, I'm gonna choke the shit out of one more person who brings <laughs> up 5G. Roland, brother, I, I'm trying to get us to look at the fact that this society, particularly when it comes to black people, are always creating angles of which we are second-guessing our worth and our value. So we trip off the whole concept of somebody having it worse than us, and this instance, white folks. And you said it was a lie that it wasn't in Africa. And of course, logically, it was a lie. But what I'm getting us to take a look at is the emotional state of our people that gets us to do things that don't make any sense sometimes. Like I said earlier, we talk about staying the heck at home, but we need to stay the heck off of fast food. We need to stay the heck out of places that cause people to be abusive. There's all kinds of places to stay the heck out of, and we're not addressing them. The black community has a self-concept issue, some unresolved mental health and trauma issues. And now that we have this coronavirus issue to address, we're going to have to start addressing these other pre-existing factors if we want to successfully resolve this. Here's some, people, some people leave home for relief. Uh, Some people go to church I, for relief. Look, I, I, and now look, they don't have no relief. Look, I, I get all of that. But what I understand, Pam, 
is that ain't no Lazarus effect going on here. Once your ass gone, you gone. It's gone. Right. Right. I think one of the, what I was trying to say was that one of the big problems is that the first narrative that came out on this was that it was not that serious and that the, it was political overreaction. The second narrative that came out on this was, well, just stay six feet apart from anybody you don't know, and you're going to be fine. You don't have to wear a mask. And, you know, maybe if they cough or sneeze on you, it's a problem, but otherwise you should be fine. But that's evolved once again. Now it's clear that you shouldn't be in the same room as other people, that it that it's actually just breathing and the and the same and the you know vicinity of someone can be problematic. That the virus stays on hard surfaces like doors and glass and things like that for long periods of time. So now just staying six feet away from somebody across the street is not enough. You really need to stay home. And the more we learn about this virus, the more clear it is that it's more contagious than anything we've ever dealt with before. And whereas in our experience, you know, you see somebody with flu symptoms or cold symptoms, you think that person's contagious. But with this, there will be a person who looks perfectly fine and they're carrying the virus and they may never show symptoms, but you will. And uh, that's what we're not emphasizing that. And, and Eugene, the rea Eugene, the reality is we do not have widespread testing to truly understand, exactly. to understand where we are. And the, so the problem is we're still playing catch up because this administration dropped the ball. The Washington Post and the Associated Press had huge stories over the weekend showing how uh, the, the gross dysfunction of this administration allowed this coronavirus pandemic to grow and grow inside the United States borders. Yeah, look, I mean, t I think the one thing that actually could help here is widespread testing. You got to figure out where the virus is, who's affected, how they're responding to it, and how to appropriately uh, react and appropriately treat and appropriately, you know, get people taken care of. And the only way you can do that is with testing. Um, that's all we can do it. Um, and, it's, and the thing is this, it's not an issue of a lack of tests. It's an issue of getting tests from point A to point B, mm -hmm. um, from test suppliers to the hands of people that are performing tests. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that we're seeing right now is the breakdown of our of our system or lack thereof, uh, if, uh, lack thereof. Um, you know, the Chinese were able to uh, you know lock down Wuhan and lock down a couple of places and just and build hospitals and stuff because of the type of system that they have. Um, but you know, our system is a little different. Uh, dramatically different, actually. And, um, you know, it requires a little bit more. But um, the one thing that absolutely could help us here is testing, is getting people tested, figuring out where where this virus is, who has it, and, and you know, how to properly stop the spread. All right, folks, got to go to a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Malcolm Nance uh, about uh, this issue as well. Of course, uh, he is the uh, terrorism expert, national security expert. Um, and so um, we come back, we'll talk to him. But right now, this is Reverend William J. Barber uh, preaching this weekend uh, about where we stand in America with coronavirus. Pilate is more interested in his position and his power than telling the truth. The crowd is spurred on by those who are envious of Jesus. The crowd is being bamboozled. And they choose the life for Jesus Barabbas 
You know, Jesus was a common name in that time. They choose Jesus Barabbas, whose name means son of the father. And they choose the death of Jesus the Christ, which means the son of God. And Pilate, being this political leader that has no real beliefs, only belief in his own self, he capitulates to their will. And his view is if politically, political stability for himself requires the death of innocent people, if his poll numbers require that innocent folk die, if his dreams of authoritarian rulership require that movements be put down and innocent people die, then so be it. All that matters to him is that my position is protected. And he says, in essence, what can I do except wash my hands of the whole business and hope that so much innocent blood doesn't leave a stain on my leadership. When governors in states like Florida, Mississippi, and Alabama refuse to expand health care and, and refuse to issue stay-in-place orders and lie and claim they don't know if the science is true while people are dying, you can't wash your hands like that. When the Senate and the House first give trillions of dollars to Wall Street bailouts and not to ensure the health care and the living wages for, for those who need it. They give money to Wall Street and, not, and don't ensure that people on every street and every back road are protected. You can't wash your hands like this. When the third bill they pass claiming a bailout for people, but that third bill leaves out millions of low-wage workers, sanitation workers, grocery workers, fast food workers, health care workers, janitors, undocumented workers, the homeless. You can't wash your hands. You can't wash your hands like this. And when preachers who have supported Trump's wrongs and, and when religious nationalists go on TV and say the reason America is suffering because of those people who don't like and support the president. No, you can't wash your hands like this. Or when religious leaders call their congregations together anyhow and tell them it's a test of their faith when it's really about them wanting to make sure they don't lose offerings and lose tithes to support their outlandish lifestyle and they're willing to risk lives. You can't wash your hands of this. All right, folks, powerful sermon there by Reverend Dr. William J. Barber. Folks, according to a study released by Jen Forward, just last month, 87% of black young adults ages 18 to 24 were worried about how to pay an unexpected bill of $1,000, and 39% were extremely worried. Now, 29% of the same black young adults were extremely worried or very worried about paying their rent. Other key findings were included. 37% of black young adults strongly support a universal basic, basic income of $1,000 each month for each American 18 or older. 52% of black young adults strongly support the idea that the government should guarantee a job to every American adult 
who wants to work. And 29% of the black young adults support a plan to establish a public option like Medicare for All, but let people stay on their private insurance if they want to. Joining me now is Kathy Cohen, Principal Investigator for Gen Ford, an organization dedicated to understanding the challenges and opportunities faced by young people of color. Uh, so, Kathy, based upon this study, um, how do we take all of that with what's happening uh, with the um, stimulus packages being passed by Congress? Well, I think, you know, I think it's clear that young people have a different understanding of what the priorities are at this moment uh, with the COVID pandemic. But I think they had a clear understanding of the priorities long before this moment. They understood their precarity. They understood the need for an expansive state. They support policies such as the government guaranteeing everyone a job who wants to uh, who wants to work. They support universal basic income of a thousand dollars a month. Right? These young people uh, live tenuously. They know that they could lose their job at any moment, in part because of the gig economy, in part because of racial capitalism. Um, so even prior to COVID nineteen they were asking for more security uh, in their lives and in their communities. And as we know, COVID-19 has only exaggerated their precarity, only exaggerated their marginality. So I, su I would suspect that when we get the next results from the survey, they will be even more uh, strong in their understanding of needing an expansive state and a fair economy. But here's the deal, though, Kathy, I have to ask this, but, but sure. where in the hell are they when it comes to voting? I mean, I mean, everything that you just laid out, yeah. there's a direct correlation yeah. between all those things and voting. We saw in the Democratic nomination where Bernie Sanders, all those things there line up with his agenda, and he kept yeah. saying he's the one who can bring them out to the polls. Yet when you look at the hardcore numbers, that wasn't, that wasn't happening. And so my whole deal is, it's one thing to say, I like or I want this, this, this. Another sure. thing is to say, I'm going to work to make it happen. Well, here's the truth. Come on now. We know that very few people work to make elections happen. What we do know is that the reason people often show up to vote is because of the networks that they're involved in. The older you get, the more likely you're to be around people who have voted, the more likely you're to be in organizations that mobilize you to vote. And so while, yes, we can blame young people for not going to the polls. No, 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 I'm not because, blaming. Because I, I know, but I'm saying, I'm saying, so what, what we have to do is, what is the infrastructure, right, that will mobilize them to the polls, but will not just mobilize them to the polls, but will be, activate them throughout the year, outside of election but, years, but there, right? But, right, but, 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 there, but there are, here, here's, here's, here's my struggle with this. First of all, yes. there are institutions that are there that do that. The, Which one? The, the, the issue I'm that... I, no, 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 no. Right, no, no, right. There are a few. Obviously, obviously, we need more. But first of yes. all, first of all, historic, historically, um, what, what I've always contended uh, is that if you look at... If you, you, if you go from 1955 to present day, the reality mm -hmm. is that your historical civil rights organizations, National Urban League, NAACP, uh, to some extent National Congress of Negro Women, uh, SCLC is not even close to what they used to be, those entities still exist because you had infrastructure and they still are there. I, I have long said uh, that, the, that the one vehicle, actually there were two vehicles, but the main vehicle that young people were involved in this process well, SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Once they begin to make yeah. that shift uh, towards uh, being uh, far more radical, uh, then all of a sudden you begin to see them die out, uh, and so SNCC goes away. And so you did, you did, you did not, you have not had 
that historical inf organization with infrastructure that was specifically targeting young people. But what I keep saying, though, to people, I don't care of what age, you can say, mm -hmm. I want this, this, this. But in this very system, you can say we need to change the whole system. That's fine. But in this very mm -hmm. system, the way you do, the way you impact it first starts with your voting, and then secondly, to your point, what you do after you vote. Right. But I, I think it's, um, I agree with most of what you said, um, but not all of what you said. And I think that there are organizations since SNCC, right? Because I think we do a disservice when we say there was this kind of golden moment around the civil rights movement, and there hasn't been anything since. If we think of the movement for Black Lives, Black Lives Matter, BYP 100, I mean, there are any number of organizations that mobilize young people into the streets in, in, year, in ways right. that we haven't seen in years. So but I think in 2016, they decided after eight years of Obama, and having actually to mobilize during the Obama administration, that they weren't going to get involved in politics. I think this is different this year. I think we've seen the Working Family Party and the Dream Defenders come out and, and endorse Sanders or Warren. We've seen them begin to think about what are strategies to mobilize young people and get them to the polls. But we have to be thinking about what is a broader infrastructure of mobilization that speaks to the issues that matter most to young people, that pays attention to the ways in which they communicate. So how do we build social media platforms also that help with that mobilization and that support organizations like organizations connected to the movement for black lives that have, yes, a radical vision, thank God, but also understand the necessity of mobilizing people to the polls, but beyond the polls. Well, and so I, I, I can't lie into the fact that oh, no, no, I, we haven't seen No, 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 follow me here. Follow me here why you SNCC as the model. Because those, the, okay. no, no, follow me here, because here's why. Because here also yes. was the failure of Black Lives Matter. And the reason I can say that, because mm -hmm. I was specifically communicating with them in this whole deal. What I kept arguing yeah. early on, I was like, I hear y'all. I said, but let me tell you this one word that you better understand, infrastructure. And what happened was there was, there was a lot of, oh, man, them, them old groups. This is what I kept saying. I'm talking about to the top leaders. I said, let me be, let me be clear with y'all. You can say they old. You can say they've been around. I said, but the fact that you still can criticize them speaks to infrastructure. And here's what happened. After 2016, the leadership you know what they all came up with? Damn, we really didn't focus on this infrastructure thing. Because what happened was... Okay, I'm and, 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 and here's the deal. I was talking directly what? with them. And, 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 and the only reason I'm using... No, 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 no. The only reason I'm using SNCC as the example... The only reason I'm using SNCC as the example, because that's sort of as the umbrella organization. What what we're seeing is that when you talk about... When you talk about... A movement. What happened? Because all this emphasis during Obama was on Obama in D.C. What they then began to realize was, oh, dang, wait a minute. If you really want to affect mass incarceration, you actually got to come back local to select new DAs. Oh, wait a minute. There are 2.3 million people who are in federal prison, only 10% of them on federal level. So that means that the other 2 million are actually in local and state jails. And so what they begin to realize is you have these local entities 
who also needed access to national uh, fundraising infrastructure. And so where they've been struggling and meeting, and as they've been discussing, is how do you put the building blocks in place so when somebody gets burned out and leaves, the whole, uh, the whole thing doesn't leave, that they simply leave, but the entity is still there. And that's where, in the discussions that I've had and also been working with a lot of these young folks, it's, you know what? I criticize that, but I also got to respect the infrastructure because put in place to still be here if I'm, if I'm not here. I think that's right. But I, here, here's the thing. We both have worked with these young people. I've worked with them for, you know, over a decade, um, help, help them build organizations. I think if you look at something like the Movement for Black Lives that has over 150 organizations tied to it, I think to say that they're they they haven't been paying attention to infrastructure to me oh, is no, no, probably no. I, the wrong. I'm not saying okay, they haven't. I'm saying Let me they have. Is, yes, but they, but they realize the shortcomings. They realize they realize the initial but, shortcomings of not really having the grounding of the infrastructure. That's what I mean. Right, but I think I think they have an infrastructure, but I think now they're pivoting back towards electoral work. I, I think in 2016, um, people were still in the streets. People. You know, I, I've interviewed lots of young people, done studies on young black people. And while they are very proud to have lived through the Obama years, they don't feel necessarily like that presidency transformed or significantly impacted black communities mm -hmm. at a material level, right? So I think now in 2020, they're paying attention and working around electoral issues. But let's let's be clear, in 2016, um, Kim Fox was elected as the state prosecutor. She is a progressive prosecutor. And the reason she was elected in part was because of BYP 100, a local black, well, it's not local, a national uh, black youth organization right. with radical and imaginative politics. So I, I want to be clear that part of the reason um, that we know the statistics about mass incarceration, that we have an abolitionist framework, um, that people are, in fact, electing progressive, if there is such a thing, progressive prosecutors, is because of young people who kind of helped us embrace that language, who built that infrastructure, who kind of sold that message and said, this is a different vision of, of the work we have to do around mass incarceration. Right. I mean, why so all of that is to say is, is that in 2020, I think we have the potential to see them have an important impact on this election. Right. But here's here's the other concern. The other concern is that we now see all of these young people who support Sanders, but Sanders is not going to be the nominee of the Democratic Party. Right. So what will happen to young people in terms of turning out in 2020 in November? And, and, and yes. the argument that I keep making to those very, to those very people is that there is no such thing as a perfect candidate. Candidates have to win, and here's the, here's the deal. If you, don't, if you don't turn out in mass numbers, your candidate's guaranteed not to win. And so, and so when I look at all the numbers in this survey you're talking about here, the reality mm -hmm. is, and I remember having this conversation, again, in 2016, you're right, it was a young sister at my radio show, and she called in, and she was like, you know... Um, I, I, I just can't, I'm not going to vote for Hillary and I'm not voting for Trump, so I'm just going to ignore national politics and just focus on my state. I said, really? Mm -hmm. I said, okay. I said, what are your top four issues in your state? She, she's in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Of her top four issues, every single one of her issues traced directly to all who was also in the White House. 
And as I'm walking mm -hmm. this thing through, she went, okay, I had no idea. I said, right, this is what connecting the dots is important. I said, right. you can't divorce yourself from what's happening nationally and by say I'm only focused on my state without realizing how they're tied. And to all these things that you that, 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 that you just read off and that I just read off, what I've been saying right. for years, and again, as somebody whose parents who were in their 20s and 30s, worked with our civic club and worked campaigns and went door to door and made their five children do the exact same thing, I grew yes. up with two parents who never went to college but who understood that if we want new lights, new sewer system, new paved yep. streets, a, a senior citizen center, a refurbished park, we're going to have to figure out, is that the city? Is it the county? Is it the state? Right. Who do we go to? Right. And so it's the work. And so what we do with this show is saying, hey, I don't care what your age is, you can sit and say, I want all that, but you got to make that thing happen. And politics, unfortunately, is mm -hmm. the one thing that connects all of us and is the greatest way to actually make this change, but it don't happen if we don't register and it don't happen if we don't vote and then it don't happen after the election we then don't right. organize to then make them do what we, they said they were going to do. And if our person, in the case of you mentioned Sanders, even if our person loses, we're still constituents. But here's, here's and I know you've got to go, but here's the issue. No, I no, 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 I ain't got to go, Kath. This is my show. <laughs> that's, that's true. Go that's ahead. True. Um, but if you're a young person, a young African-American person, and your vision is not just a streetlight, but an economy that is fair and equitable, so that your your vision, what you want, is bigger than what Joe Biden can ever promise you or and definitely ever deliver, right? That, I think, is what we have to begin to struggle with, that young people are not rejecting politics. They might be rejecting the limited nature of what electoral politics can deliver. Now, there are many of us who would say, yep, we've been there, done that. You got to kind of figure out how to, be, how to kind of grab reform not reforms and build on that. But there is something I would say revolutionary and inspiring about young people who say, let's think about the systemic inequalities that structure black people's lives and figure out how do we attack that? How do we understand COVID-19 and its disproportionate impact on black communities and believe that Trump or Biden can rectify that without some attention to right, systemic inequalities. And I think that's what you see in part with young people, is an alienation for the limited response of this state and, and capitalism. And they want to say something better has to, to be on the horizon, and that's not going to happen by voting for my alderman. I live in Chicago, right? Um, that's going to happen by refusing to partake in this and going to the streets and imagining something else. Now, we might not agree with that, but I think we yeah, have to respect I, I, and at least deal with it. Right, yeah. and, and, and the reason the reason I will say uh, I don't agree with it because I don't see it as either or. To me, it's and. Right. And, and, what I, and what I also uh, uh, constantly state, uh, and, and, and when we're talking about this here, is I think what happens is um, folks, if, if, like I was having this conversation the other day, this brother called me and he was like, hey, you know, uh, I'm really thinking, man, that you should really create this, this black digital network that has all of these different contributors. He's going on and on and on. And I was like, you done? <laughs> I said, 
You can't do none of that unless you have one show that's successful. And you gotta build from there. And I think part of the part of this issue is also that somebody could have this, I wanna have this structural change of a system, but as Ella Baker said, when she said it's from the pew to the pulpit, not pulpit to pew, this thing ain't gonna happen mass down to small. It actually goes from small up. And the, but the argument has to be to every single thing in this survey is you ain't getting none of that if you <laughs> sitting on the couch. Right, right. Uh, I think that's true. Ella, but And Ella Baker would say strong people don't need strong leaders, right? Oh, absolutely. So, that's right. That's right. So uh, I think she would also say that means if you build a movement of strong people, you don't have to be that invested or believe, in fact, that the only way to get these things is if you elect uh, a Joe Biden. Now, we, you know, I think young people can turn out. I think lots of people are going to turn out now after this pandemic. Um, but the, the issue for me is never just the turnout. It is what happens in January and February yes, yes. and March. And how do we hold people accountable for what they come and promise our communities? I'm and not... I think that's where an infrastructure built around the needs and the demands and the energy of young people can hold those people Even if they black. I mean, look, I remember there were people who, tell, who were saying, yeah. well, Roland, you weren't saying this. With Obama, I'm like, I'm like, well, first of all, don't let me have to have receipts for your ass. I'm like, because if you go back to January 2009, an article that I authored in Essence magazine, uh, and then even my own book where I said, look, ain't nothing magical is going to happen. Uh, just because he's sitting in the Oval Office. We have to actually yeah. present the agenda. And a lot of people criticize even Dr. Cornell West, although I think mm -hmm. th the problem is when he started mentioning inauguration tickets, that's where he screwed it up. And I told, I him, and I told him that personally on the air. But the reality is the, night bef the day before the inauguration, I moderated a panel at Howard University. Spike Lee's group sponsored it. And where he yeah. said, he said, we gonna hold that brother accountable. The problem right. for a lot of us, if we are real honest, Kathy, a lot of us, mm -hmm. when we see black, oh, I don't really want to say nothing. I don't really want to pray. They got lots on their plate. Well, I kept saying, I think in the case of Obama, we were so enamored yeah. with him being the first, we forgot right. he was the 44th. That's exactly right. And we can't... But I don't think young people did. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. And I, think I know I, some well, who did. I, I think... Well, some did, but remember that the movement for Black Lives, BLM, BYP, this all emerged yeah. in the second. Well, here's okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna give you one. I'm gonna give you one. You may not realize this. Where I really got upset with some of them. So you might remember, but, but when he when Scalia dies, and that was a yes. reception. That that was that was a meeting at the White House of the elders and the young activists. And so they were all in the meeting. I'm talking about it was so Rashad Robinson, Brittany Packnett. It would be all, so all, yeah. all of them. So mm -hmm. uh, Scalia dies, and, you know, I, others have been pushing, like, no, you need to appoint a black woman. So they had the meeting. It was the same day they had the reception, the Black History Month reception in the White House. So we were waiting for the reception to start because they went along with the meeting. So I first see Wade Henderson. He comes out, and I was like, yo, anybody in that meeting tell Obama to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court? Oh, no, he didn't want to answer. So then I ran to Melanie Campbell. She didn't want to answer. Then I ran. I was like, hey. I said, hold up. I said, the end of that, Rashad. He's like, no. Well, you know, Loretta Lynch was sitting right next to him. I said, I don't give a damn. I said, wait a minute. 
I said, you mean to tell me all of y'all were in a room mm. with Obama and not now person said, Mr. President, we implore you to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court? I said, damn, y'all can't sit in no meeting and say nothing and dance around the issue. But, but again, that's where we have to be willing at the table to say it, even if a person we think might be on the list is sitting right next to him. I agree. That's all I'm uh, saying. But I think, I think we're more likely to have a young person who's less invested, who, uh, you know, doesn't see their career as tied to the administration. I think they're more likely to voice that concern, that position, and to build from there. And so that's why we do the survey, because we want to hear the voices of young people, young black people, uh, because I think they have a vision for what the future is going to be and what they're going to make the future, and we want to want to support their voices. Well, I, 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 look, I've given this platform uh, to those same voices, and I tell them the same thing. I tell middle-aged black people and old black people and super old black people, ain't a damn <laughs> thing going to change if you sitting on your behind and don't put in the work because you can't expect somebody else to put in some work that you are unwilling to do. Kathy, we appreciate it. We'll keep swinging. Where can, right. where can people uh, go read about the uh, the survey and get more information? GenForwardSurvey.com. GenForwardSurvey.com. G-E-N forward, F-O-R-W-A-R-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y.com. That's for those of y'all who can't spell. All right, then. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kathy Cohen, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you. All right, go to my panel here. First, I want to go to uh, Cleo. Cleo, what do you think? I think that both of you and that sister were right. I think, though, that, as I say all the time, and, I, hey, what can I say? Black people live in a hostile environment, and we need, because the environment is hostile, clear indication that somebody affirms us and has our back. When Obama ran for president, as you know, we never had such a high voting turnout record ever in history, at least in recent decades because the implication was, because he was black, and because his wife was black, that he was going to have our back. And we've seen him as somebody who was to do some, something for us, not just for us. I don't think anybody was that delusional that the, that American president was going to work just for us, but that he might, you know, give us give some black wings and do something and during his term that affirms black people and that makes black people feel like he it cares about us. But that didn't happen. And because that did not happen, a lot of black people are demoralized and have stepped out of the election process. One thing that we've talked about before, but not enough, is that black men have been completely ignored. And because it's a patriarchal culture and Barack Obama was a male, black men were particularly focused on what's this brother going to do. And when Tamir Rice got killed anyway, when Michael Brown got killed anyway, when Trayvon Martin got killed anyway, and when black men kept being dying in, dying in women like Sandra Bland, et cetera, were being murdered despite having a black president, and he was not actually addressing black issues in a meaningful way, black people right now are, are very demoralized around the whole idea of supporting a presidential candidate. But here's the deal. But, but it's not, it's, but, but, let me, let me just say this one more thing. It's not just about being on the couch. I completely understand what you're saying and agree with you when you say that we have to vote. And yeah. then after we vote, we have to hold whoever's in the presidency or whoever's in our local governments accountable regardless. But, but, but we have to meaningfully address people, black people's emotional state I, 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 and look. black people's 
perspectives or else we're going to lose them and, and they will stay on the couch. But the, here's the thing, Eugene. Yeah, but... There is nothing in this system. Wait, nothing. Yeah, There's <laughs> nothing in this system. There's nothing in the history of black people where it's like, yo, I want this, 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 but I ain't going to put in the work to get it. That's, that, that's, that, that is my point right there. It, you, can, you can say it ain't right. I wish it was something else. The system that we have right now is the system. And if yeah, you but... are not... But, if Eugene, if you're not... Mm -mm. If you're not actively engaged in changing it and voting is a part of it, it ain't gonna happen. It's guaranteed not to happen. Right, and I think... No, hold on, no, 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 wait, I no, no, oh, Pam, Pam, Pam. Hold on, Eugene was talking. Eugene. Yeah, the thing is this, right? What people have to understand is that we don't have a strong man system. We have a federal system, which means that you have a federal government and you have state governments. People, you know, we got Barack Obama elected and folks just stopped there, right? You know, they, they didn't come back and, and make sure that, hey, you protect the, the Congress, you, you get more governors elected, you... You know, maintain control of state legislatures, right? Because that's I mean, the thing is this: a lot of attention is put in the presidency, but a lot of things that affect our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, things like hey, policing, things like from justice for things like hey, where your tax dollars are going, are directly are, are are directly related to what happens at the state and local level. Largest generation, you know, there's no reason why, you know, our folk aren't, you know, getting one, getting folk elected, putting the agenda forward, and 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 following through on it. Pam, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's sort of missing in all this discussion is the juxtaposition between things that change at lightning speed, uh, like technology and corto mores, and things that don't change at lightning speed. I mean, my parents' generation was used to, you know, 30 years before something changes. Their parents' generation was used to something 60 years before it changes. My generation is like, oh, it's going to be 20 years. And, you know, Gen Z is like, okay, I expect it in the next three months. Because that's the speed with which change happens around them, and they can't contextualize why making an argument that, you know, universal basic income or Medicare for all, you know, clearly morally more sound would make more economic sense in a lot of ways. They just can't understand the institutional blockades to that. And so they become much more quickly frustrated and, and, and willing to pull back and just say, well, screw it. I'm going to take my toys and go home. And here's the thing that they don't understand is that my grandmother, your grandmother, probably had to vote for people who were horrible just to keep out people who were 10 times worse from power. Like, it's not like my grandmother was from Kansas City, Missouri. It's not like she had, didn't have to show up at the polls and vote for racists and vote for sexists and vote for people she didn't like. But she had to because the alternative was even worse for her and her people. And that is a notion that, for some reason, we cannot penetrate in younger people. The notion that there is something far more dangerous to them and what they want and what they want to accomplish than, than, than the person that they feel is a disappointment. Well, yeah, Joe Biden may be a disappointment for a lot of young people, but they are literally incapable of processing at times, not everybody and not all the time, but at times, 
They, they are so resentful of having to give their power or their vote to a Joe Biden they don't like that they're not even contemplating that by doing so, they're taking power from the monster who's sitting in the White House right now. Well, the thing, the, 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 the thing again, the, this, to me, I, I keep this thing as very, as, as very basic and as fundamental as possible. Let me know when Malcolm Nash is there. For me, this is very basic and fundamental, and that is this here. If there is something I want... I have to be willing to do something to get it. Yeah. What, I, what I can't do, what I can't do is want something and then go, okay, I need somebody else to get out there and make it happen. It's not going to happen. What I also understand is this here, and this is just, just for me when it comes to young people, is the exact same thing I've said about Latinos. You can say, you can tout your demographic numbers, but your demographic numbers mean nothing if you're not taking your demographic numbers and then making it real in terms of electoral politics. And so, if you say, oh, well, these are our numbers, but if you're in Texas and you have two million eligible but unregistered Latinos in Texas alone, your power is on the sidelines. And so you actually can have more power and get more things done if you use, if you actually plug. If I had, if I got to go as Joe Madison said, you gotta put it where the ghost can get it. I can't talk about the room is dark if there's a light in the room and it ain't plugged in. If I'm complaining that the room is dark, and there's a lamp sitting right there. All I got to do is plug that damn lamp in, and now the room is not dark. You cannot allow your power to remain unplugged. And so all I'm saying when it comes to this survey is to any person who is 18 to 35, you have to be engaged in this process. Otherwise, it ain't going to happen. All right, folks, I got to go to my next guest. Uh, China has not necessarily been straightforward with us. No shock. No sh Is Malcolm next there? Malcolm yeah, there? I'm here. Okay. Uh, China's not been straightforward with us. It it's hilarious to sit there and watch Trump get, get questioned on this when he was the one tweeting about, oh, the transparency of the Chinese leader uh, and how great they have been. Uh, but the reality is here, I mean, uh, Malcolm... The Chinese cannot be as, as straightforward as possible on their numbers. We got a battle of fight um, amongst ourselves as opposed to worrying about what in the hell their numbers are. We have our own issues going on in this world right now. And this is part of the problem that we're having with coronavirus is that Donald Trump at first ignored the Central Intelligence Agency's assessments that the Chinese had been holding down this uh, virus and that it was going to break out into a, an epidemic, if not a global pandemic. That assessment was sent on January 3rd. Uh, the Chinese do this. We know it's the nature of their authoritarian yeah, they regime. Lie. They lie. They're communists. They're going to lie. I mean, I love this here. Oh, my God. They lied. Shocking. Uh, yeah, but, you know, Donald Trump always tries to play it both ways. Right? He wants to suck up the President Xi uh, so that he can be a power player in that world and keep the market stable, but at the same time, come out and use racist terms. 
look, I didn't have a problem when uh, they cut off air travel from China as part of a, the initial steps to combat coronavirus. That was fine. It was the hypocrisy of letting 430,000 people fly in from China during the next month while saying on television that you have an actual air ban, which in fact wasn't. He actually allowed 40,000 American citizens to come back, many of whom were infected and provided the initial vectors of this virus out of Washington State, New York City, Washington, D.C., and other places. Donald Trump uses China as a foil uh, because he understands it's for the consumption of his base, who in their cult-like way don't particularly care or think about anything from minute to minute, so that if Donald Trump says that China's bad, then China is bad that minute. If he says, oh, President Xi, we talk and get along very well, like he did on 25 January, while this epidemic was in, in China was burning like wildfire, that it, has, it shows Donald Trump is incapable of doing anything which is even fundamentally honest and, of course, works in the interest of the United States. And, of course, now we're dealing with them firing uh, a Navy commander because he complained about his sailors being sick. That commander is now tested positive for coronavirus. And then you got the acting secretary of the, uh, of the Navy, who is a complete idiot, acting. who, who trashes this dude. And I'm sorry, this is somebody who, oh, all he was caring about whether or not his sailors are going to live or die. Let me tell you. I am incensed over this issue. The last time I was this hot was when Donald Trump pardoned a war criminal and reinstated him back in the Navy at my rank, which is, you know, the Navy chiefs, which is a very, very honorable uh, rank. It's very hard to get to. This guy had been stripped of that rank, then gave him back his trident so that he could retire with full honors and get his full benefits after being convicted in a military court-martial of, of several things uh, and while accused of war crimes by his own team members. I was pretty hot at that time. Um, I want to put this in context for your audience, for those of you who don't know. The Nance family started their service in the armed forces in 1864 when two brothers ran away from northern Alabama and joined the 111th U.S. Color Troops. One of them, William Henry Nance, then left and joined the U.S. Navy to be a riverine warfare crewman in the Tennessee River Valley. There has been a Nance in the armed forces ever since, every day since then, right up to my niece who is in the Navy now, who was in combat off of Yemen last year. I am a Navy senior chief. My dad was a Navy master chief. My brother was a Navy senior chief. And four other brothers were in the Navy. Okay? We take the honor and service in the naval service very, very seriously. This man, the acting secretary of the Navy, who got the job because the original secretary of the Navy had some honor and was resigned, then fired by Donald Trump because he couldn't, in good conscience, put a war criminal back into his job. This is the man that took over. And his problem is he executed Donald Trump's hit on a captain who was looking out for 4,000 men and women who were about to be overcome by coronavirus on a vessel 
which was at sea. In the old days, they would just leave you at sea for 40 days and, you know, let pestilence or smallpox or the plague go through your ship and let the people die. We don't do that anymore. But Donald Trump's response to this letter from the captain was to get him fired. And then once he was fired, when the crew showed their love for him by turning out thousands of them to see his departure from the vessel, Donald Trump got even more angry. And suddenly, the acting secretary of the Navy shows up down there, who, by the way, was a former very junior lieutenant who flew helicopters for a couple of years, then went to Wall Street, then became one of Donald Trump's biggest donors. This man went there to chew the crew out, well, not really, but to disparage the beloved captain, to tell him that he had betrayed him as Secretary of the Navy personally, and that he was fired for, uh, for good order and discipline and for disobeying uh, or, or embarrassing the Navy. This is the man who was there during the, re the reinstatement and rehonoring of a war criminal. So I don't want to hear this from Donald Trump that this was done because, you know, he it embarrassed the Navy and that it, 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 it impacted good order and discipline. We are in a corrupt administration and every one of these people are corrupt. This guy must resign. He shouldn't be in that job. Uh, it, it's just disgraceful. Uh, couldn't say it better than that, folks. Malcolm Nance is the author of the book, the plot to betray America. If you don't want to, you don't have your copy. You want to get it because uh, all this stuff is what gone down. Well, he actually called it before it actually happened. So you might want to pay attention. Malcolm Nance, man, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. All right, folks, we're talking about how to keep you healthy as we're all staying at home. We've got people who are eating all day, sleeping all day. A lot of us have no idea what day it is, uh, what's going on. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, some people are going like, well, today's Monday. I thought it was Wednesday or Thursday. So it's all been thrown off. So my man, Cootie Mack, a fitness philosopher uh, at Be Your Best Daily, he uh, he joins us right now uh, to help us out uh, with some questions my, to my panel. Y'all get ready for some of your questions. I know y'all at home just like me trying to figure out uh, how can you not uh, walk into the kitchen. Cootie Mac, what up? Hey, what's happening, man? How are you? All right, man, this is real stressful for a whole bunch of people because, again, the, the, your whole schedule has been totally disrupted. Yes. I mean, absolutely. And, you know, first of all, it's great to be back in the saddle. Good, great to see you. It's unfortunate the circumstance that we find ourselves seeing each other is that we're in this pandemic, like you said, and everybody's been all disrupted and um, some people have been directly impacted. I have friends that actually are COVID positive, so praying for them, but for the rest of us, we've got to figure out how to sort ourselves within the midst of this, this unprecedented change. And we've got to make sure that we attack the day with the proper philosophies. We got to make sure that we are fueling ourselves properly and we got to make sure that we're doing the things to keep ourselves fit. So, all right, so, so, so where do we start? I mean, because, I mean, look, I, I, I gained weight, I've lost weight, I gained a couple back, now we're trying to lose it again. You sort of have these fluctuations because, frankly, your whole routine, I mean, you, first of all, if you're going into work, or doing whatever, you typically are moving more, you're sheltered in place, you're really, you, you, you're, you're really more uh, sedentary, and so your whole being changes now.
That is true. That is true. So the first thing I recommend for everybody to do is just, again, adopt the philosophy for the day. Whether if, if you're if you're spiritual, religious, pray. If you just want to meditate, you can go on YouTube and find a five minute meditation. Just just succumb yourself to that five minutes and, or just simply breathe. But start the day off intentionally with the with the intention that you're going to do your best to be your best. From there, it's going to be about how you fuel yourself. Because giving yourself the proper food, giving yourself some hydration at the very least. I mean, for some people, drinking water is a revolutionary concept as far <laughs> as it being the primary beverage. But drink some water, find a fruit, find a vegetable if you're not someone who's into that. I know, I know like with you, last time I saw you, apples were the things that we were adopting. No, oh, that's it. Look, I, I ain't, look, I, I, look I, I do apples, I do grapes, I do strawberries. Uh, but I'm just awesome. saying, but I'm, I'm, but, but, but part of that also again is, 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 but you have to force the routine because the reality yes. is, uh, yes. you're not, you're not used to being, crucial. you're not used I mean, to being at home 24 hours. Exactly. So well, and one thing you can do is break the day up into maybe two to three hour segments where you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to look at what I'm going to do for the next three hours. I'm going to make sure that I accomplish something that I need to get accomplished in terms of a task, whether it's work or for your kids, they're studying or even something around the house that just been dying to get done, like the lawn or, or reorganization. Then give yourself 30 minutes to move around, do some exercises, and we can talk about that in a minute. And then make sure you're eating something that will help feed you and, and, and pay you back, not, not junk food. So in terms of going shopping, you want to make sure, again, if it's only one food and one vegetable, buy those in abundance. But, but, but like you just said, last time I saw you, it was just an apple. Now we're talking apples, grapes, strawberries. That's awesome. Get some food that actually helps you throughout the day. All right, so uh, first of all, uh, let's go to my panel, Eugene. You got now, Eugene, how are you dealing with this, being diabetic? Um, what kind of questions do you have for Cootie Mac? Uh, actually, my question, my my question was going to be, uh, you know, what foods uh, actually could help, you know, keep the metabolism uh, boosted. Uh, for me, you know, um, I, I'm still doing everything I was doing before the quarantine. Um, you know, I largely work from home. I have a home office, so it, it's kind of hasn't been too dramatic of a lifestyle change. But uh, you know, my one question would be, you know, if I were to add anything. Like, like, what to add to boost, boost metabolism? All right, Kuda Matt, go ahead. What to add to boost metabolism? So, and he, you're diabetic, correct? Yep, he is. Yeah. Okay. So, what you want to do is, uh, if you don't already eat apples as a, as a habit, apples are a good food because although they have technically high sugar, they have yeah. so much fiber that your body's glycemic index doesn't really fluctuate with it. I stay away from some of the favorite fruits that people like. Damn, I'm glad you after. said that. I was just arguing with somebody about that who was like, man, why, why's the sugar in apples? I was like, okay, you know there's fiber as well. <laughs> I, 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 it kills me I, all I these people, man. No fiber like grapes, pineapples, mangoes. Yep. Those are the ones you want to stay away from. So you, you want to stay away from what? Cool. Uh, so pineapples, grapes, uh, mangoes, you know, fruits that we like, but those are not as great for diabetics. But if you're talking apples, if you're talking melons, if you're talking uh, berries, that's that's more along the spectrum that you want to be dealing with. So watermelon? Watermelon is great. Cantaloupe, melon. Cantaloupe is awesome. All right, cool. All right, uh, Cleo, what's your question? Well, this brother taught me a lot when I last saw him. 
in terms of what to eat and how to reduce sugar and eat food that had living enzymes, blah, blah, blah. So I've been following his methods and, and I've been doing pretty well. Good. My concern now is basically having to be home so much is my, my, my schedule is very, very busy and I was very active and walking and doing things, which is why I stay in decent shape. But now I saw some toffee almond chocolate. Um, <laughs> and it looked real good because of the relative complacency my body is in. And I don't have to, and I don't have a lot, enough experiences to make me actively do what I know what I need to do. See, that's so a problem. First of all, I intellectually know what to do. If it's not it's about in your, keeping if, the emotions and the intellects in in synthesis. If that's it wasn't in your house, you wouldn't see it. Cootie Mac, go ahead. Uh, Roland made a great point. <laughs> try to get that stuff out of the house. But even with that, try what you want to do is like you're talking about emotion and intellect. But the will is really, it really starts biologically. If your body has what it needs to start then you won't need to supplement it with sugar or anything else. So that's why it's crucial, like I said, to start the day off intentionally with nutrition. Protein is a good way to start. If you don't have an aversion to dairy, something like 2% Greek yogurt, um, snacks like nuts and seeds, peanut butter, that's whole peanut butter. It, when you eat stuff like that, protein takes longer to digest. So therefore, protein burns in your metabolism longer. It takes longer to metabolize, rather. And because of that, you won't feel as hungry. And worst case scenario, take a break and just go for a walk. Put your mask on, be safe, but go for a walk. And that will also help you as well. All right, Pam, well, question. You, what you just described is how I eat. Uh, okay. Yes, the only how you I eat. I want to mention eat. is having to be more intentional, as you said, because being relatively bored compared to a previously go-for-broke schedule, yes. it can make you... Want to be less boredom? Buy some toffee, some some almond toffee chocolate. Right. So <laughs> that's the whole thing. A lot of people and Roland will was correct. eat out of boredom. If it's not in your house, correct. A lot of people yeah. will eat out of boredom, and what and what I need you to do is eat healthy with intention at and on the outset. Attack it. Be be on the offensive yeah. with your nutrition, and that will help you. That will help you avoid the temptation of sugar. You're right. Thank you. All right, Cootie Mac. Um, final comments. Final comments. So like I said, attack the day with the proper philosophy. Make sure that you check out my Friday finishers on Instagram, at Cootie Mac, K-U-T-I-M-A-C-K. I've got a bunch of exercises, especially since the pandemic has hit, that don't require any it, it don't require any equipment that anybody of any fitness level can do. There's modifications, and I've got you. You can hit me, BYBDFitness.com. I've got plenty of information like this and more, and I'm here to help you. I want you to get through this pandemic safely. <clears throat> All right, then. Kuda Mac, man, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Man, it's good to be back. Good to see you. See you next time. All right, we'll do it again. All right, folks. Uh, here's the deal here. So we were on social media last week, and I saw this amazing story. And so uh, folks were uh, cooped up in the house, if you will. And uh, these, uh, two, these two brothers, these two uh, gents, uh, they are roommates. And you know what? They were just, they're in the band. They want, they want to help the people. So, uh... They literally walked around their neighborhood in St. Louis, and one of the neighbors shot this video. Thank mm -hmm. you.
Pretty cool there. Go to my iPad, please. Uh, this uh, Dominique Burton uh, is the brother who is on uh, the left. Uh, Dominique uh, is uh, he's a uh, he's a graduate of Prairie View A&M University. Uh, was in the band there at Prairie View. Uh, Benjamin Kosberg uh, is on the right. That's his roommate. Uh, and so that's you can go back. To, that's what they did. So the St. Louis uh, newspaper did, did a story on them, and they said that look, they were just uh, they were just tired of being in the house cooped up, and they wanted to uh, bring some uh, bring some joy. And they literally, folks, just walked all around their neighborhood, uh, playing different music, uh, playing uh, playing uh, second line uh, music, just. Uh, and trading in for instruments. One play the trombone, one play the tuba, then they switch. Uh, and so uh, they said they, they, they did, did, couldn't go a, a long way because that tuba was a wee bit heavy. Also, folks, this video here was posted, uh, the singer Tony Terry. And so Tony was uh, out with his uh, wife, and uh, they, they were walking, uh, practicing safe distancing. They looked up, and all of a sudden, they see a couple getting married, uh, and the only people who were there uh, was the person who was officiating the service and the couple who got married. And so, Tony Terry said, let me go ahead and bless them with their first dance. Watch this. When I'm with you The sun shines my way Maybe our love reflects its rays of light on everyone when I'm with you it's for real what I feel when I'm with you congratulations y'all congratulations bye bye enjoy Ah, oh, it's pretty cool. Can you imagine a couple getting home and hitting Google going, oh, my God, that's who actually sang it all with it? And so think about it. They got Tony Terry to sing with you for free at their wedding. So we certainly appreciate those great stories. Uh, uh, for Pam had to go. Cleo, thanks a bunch. Eugene, thanks a bunch uh, for being on the show. Hey, folks, uh, don't forget again, I want y'all to push out the hashtag. Hashtag Easter at home. Hashtag Resurrection Sunday at home. If your mama, your daddy, your grandparents, your aunt and uncle, your cousins, if they are hell-bent on trying to go to church, tell them, hell no, y'all gonna stay at home. We cannot have these black preachers in these black churches having church service this week. I know this is Holy Week. My wife is an ordained minister. <laughs> I'm a Christian author. I love Jesus as well, but I'm trying to tell y'all, ain't none of us named Lazarus. And if we die from the coronavirus, Jesus is not gonna and blow breath into our bodies and we come back to life. So, look, protect yourself. Be safe. Don't chance it. Listen to the health experts. You can go to church online. Look, the Lord, you can talk directly to him. You can do praise and worship. You can do all this sort of stuff. Yesterday, I had a two-and-a-half-hour praise session on Instagram Live <laughs> and Facebook. Ain't nothing wrong with that. 
But we got to make sure our people are safe because we keep looking at these numbers. And folks, black people are disproportionately dying. Chicago, in Michigan, in Alabama, in Mississippi, in Georgia, uh, in uh, Louisiana. Yo, we got to have some common sense. All right. So I'll see you guys uh, tomorrow. I was going to play it today. Uh, the movie Sinners Wanted was uh, on TV One yesterday. I totally forgot it was on, and I actually had a role in that movie. So I'm going to play a video. It's on my Instagram page and my YouTube channel. Uh, but I'm going to play it to y'all for tomorrow. Uh, some back, some uh, behind-the-scenes video we shot uh, while we were doing the movie. So certainly congratulations to the Jenkins brothers for that movie. Uh, and all of y'all who watched, I think it re-airs uh, this Saturday. So just check uh, TV One listings if you missed missed the movie. All right, folks, I gotta go. Be safe and listen to the doctors. Get your mask. Y'all see I'm good. I had to, you know, look, I call this uh, coronavirus swagger. You know, I gotta look good with my mask so, you know, I can't look crazy. And so, I will see y'all tomorrow. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.